This is Mike Eisgrau, former news reporter for the late great station WNEWAM in New York City. And you're listening to The Big Band Files with Doug Miles. Great pleasure right now to welcome a man who will be performing in our area uh, coming up this Tuesday, April 1st, over at the Van Wazel, and he'll be doing a tribute to uh, his father, Sinatra Sings Sinatra, and a lot of things going on now with uh, him. We'll find out all about the latest updates. Great pleasure to welcome Frank Sinatra Jr. to the show. Frank, thanks for being with us. How are you? Just fine. How are you? I'm doing great. It's good to have a chance to uh, to talk to you. Been a big fan, uh, not only of your music, but of course uh, your dad as well. And I got to say, uh, regards uh, from Sid Mark. He was on with us recently. Of course, uh, he has the Sounds of Sinatra show, uh, which we carry. So he sends his regards to you. I'm glad that you work with Sid. He's a good man. Told some great stories 
uh, when he was with us uh, about a week or so ago and uh, really has been uh, kind of a stalwart of, of your dad's music and yours as well on his uh, syndicated show and up in Philadelphia as well. Well, I've known Sid for 40 years. That long? Wow. Yeah, I was on his show back in the 60s. He started out, he told us, I guess this is his 50th year coming up, uh, doing the uh, the uh, show locally and then uh, the syndicated show as well. But uh, Now, this particular concert you're going to be doing down here, you've been touring with it around the country, haven't you? Uh, well, not exactly. Um, the uh, We have two jobs on the Gulf Coast of Florida coming up, and the show is kind of set up just for that. Mm-hmm. Because we're using, um, for the appearance where you are, we're using only the band. We won't be using the, the strings, the orchestra this time. Right. And so that's it makes it a little bit different. A yeah, 20-piece orchestra or band coming to, uh, to Van Wezel. And, uh, and is there also some, uh, some video as well you're going to show? I think I saw that somewhere. No, we have no video. No video? I thought there was something as well, but uh, you'll no, be telling... It's only a concert. You'll be telling some of the great stories as well, I'm sure, in between the songs, right? Oh, yes. Just, you know, the the origin of the uh, how the music came to be, you know, and particularly chronologically, because he was constantly looking for different things, you know, to do. I guess the, the, the big change uh, from the big band years to uh, what we kind of known him later on, I guess, was the early 50s when, or late 50s maybe, when he, when he hooked up with Nelson Riddle, right? With the great arrangements? Well, you're right, uh, but it wasn't the late 50s. That began in 1953. Okay. And it was at that point uh, that he had a major change in his life. Within the period of like six weeks' time, in 1952, he had been dropped by his agency, his record label, and his movie studio contract. In those days, they still had movie studio contracts. Right. But all within six weeks, he was just kind of out in the cold. So beginning in 1953, new record company, new agency, and independent movie deals. It's hard to believe when you look back at it, and I've heard the stories and read some of it, like you said, what happened at that time in his career. Uh, I think Milton Burrow might have been someone that put him on his TV show, and that kind of helped him a little bit during that time. But it's hard to believe that uh, that three things would happen that simultaneously to him, you know? Well, you're quite correct. You know, Milton, um, Milton was truly the pioneer in television. Uh, when he started in 19, I think it was 48, I can remember the, they used to call it the Texaco Star Theater. That's right, yeah. Those days. And he was very, very close uh, to his friend Frank Sinatra for many, many years. And he was on, uh, Sinatra was on Milton's show over and over again. But then about 1950, 51, um, the, there was a Sinatra television show which came from New York and at first they were they, they called it Bull of a Watch Time right. and they had another one um, there was a cutlery company called Echo Wear in those days and they sponsored the show and they had several different sponsors but it was um, uh, a black and white of course musical show from uh, I think it was CBS television in those days, but all of that came to a crashing halt 
1952, which is when everything he had just suddenly stopped. Yeah. Also, uh, at that time, he had a, a problem with the vocal cords, too, didn't he? Oh, he had that a lot of times. Yeah. Because of just, oh, overwork. Um, working the theaters in different cities, and even though the appearances were brief through the day, it was like nine shows a day. Uh, then there would be radio appearances and things like that. And after a while, it just gave out. Look down, look down That lonesome road Before you travel on Look up, look up and seek your maker Before Gabriel blows his horn Weary toting Such load Trudging down The lonesome road Look down, look down that lonesome road before you travel on. True love, true love, what have I done that you should treat me so? You taught me. Like I never did before Weary token Such a load Trudging down The lonesome road Look down, look down Lonesome road before you travel on. Look down, look down that lonesome road before you travel on. Look up, look up. And seek your maker before Mr. Gabriel blows his horn. I'm weary of toting such a heavy load, trudging down the lonesome road. Look down, look down. That lonesome road before you travel on. Look down, look down. That lonesome road before you travel on. <laughs> 
Look down, look down That lonesome road Before you decide to travel Look down, look down, look down, look down That lonesome road Before you travel We're talking with Frank Sinatra Jr. My mom, uh, who was uh, from that era, uh, uh, remembers she was, I don't know if she was a Bobby Soxer, but she was actually working as a nurse in one of the uh, theaters or places where he was performing. I think it was a department store. And in just that time where he did, like you said, nine or ten shows a day or a record signing or, or something like that, he really was worked so hard back in those years, wasn't he? Absolutely. That really, well, that was that was show business then. There was, at that point, television was only just beginning, you know, just beginning. It was just getting started. Uh, not everybody owned a television set. Uh, there was, you know, people in, were lucky if there was one TV set per neighborhood. Right. And everybody would go to the home where the, whoever had the television set was. And this was the beginning of that, so the entertainment was only radio, and live appearances, and of course, movies at the time, records. Um, there was, uh, I can remember as a kid, in in the 1940s, the late 40s, they used to have uh, things on the, the circumference of the record labels. There would be a thing that was printed, a warning, that would say, this phonograph record, not licensed, for radio broadcast. Yep, right. Hard to believe. Well, <laughs> it used to be, and I even had a little of it in my own lifetime, it used to be that if you turned on the radio and you heard somebody singing uh, with a little band or something, those people were actually at the radio station you were listening to. And the singer was singing live and the musicians were playing live. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that even happened in my career, which was in the 60s. There was a, um, oh, I think it was it was a clear channel, in fact. When the, those days when the 50-kilowatt stations were every so often in the country, there was one at Detroit, Michigan, called WJR. JR, right. And at WJR, uh, they had a band in the studio. And if I went to appear on some show on WJR Detroit, I would be singing live with that little band. Wow. And that was really the dinosaur. That was the end of the time. Well, I grew up in uh, New York, uh, Frank, listening to uh, WNEWAM, no longer on the air, unfortunately. But I know your dad uh, was a big part of that. Of course, uh, William B. Williams uh, really kind of uh, played a lot of his music every day with the report from the chairman of the board. I'm sure you've been on it many times. And I guess that station, uh, for radio purposes, helped a lot with the albums, didn't it? Absolutely. It was the late William B. Williams who made Sinatra the chairman of the board. And that was back in the days of, you know, in those days, William B. Williams was on that station. Uh, Fred Robbins was on that station. They had some wonderful radio personalities at that time. 
Yeah, tremendous station and uh, played uh, the big bands and the standards up until, I guess, what, the early 90s, and then it switched to another station briefly, but uh, that that was a station I know. He actually, I think he may have sung on it when he was with uh, Harry James, I think. Didn't he they do some old big band remotes? He may have been on it way back then in the late 30s, but uh, it was well, a great station. perhaps you're right, but more often than not, the radio remote broadcasts were usually done by the network stations. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. The network stations had the money, especially the owned and operated, the O&O stations. They had the money to do radio remotes. I can remember uh, in the days before gambling in Atlantic City, (laughs) uh, I used to work at the Steel Pier at Atlantic City, New Jersey, and we'd be out in what was called the ballroom uh, at the end of the Steel Pier where I would alternate my show with Duke Ellington or one of the name bands in those days. And we used to do radio remotes every Saturday night. Oh, yeah. And they were all network in those days. Can I steal a little love? Can I steal a little love? Cool me, honey, I'm on fire. Your love is my desire Hug me, squeeze me till I'm red Till my eyes bug out my head Coo me, woo me, turtle dove Can I steal a little love? Please tell me why are you driving me crazy? Why do I dig you like I do? If I should steal a little kiss And you can prove that it was wrong I'll give it back to you Tell me, honey, with a smile I could walk you down the aisle I won't even need a show Can I steal a little love? Can I steal a little love? Can I steal a little love? Cool me, woo me, I'm on fire. To steal your love is my desire. Hug me, squeeze me till I'm red. Till my eyes bug out my head. Cool me, woo me, turtle dove. Can I steal a little love? Please tell me why are you driving me crazy? And why do I dig you like I do? If I should steal a little kiss and you can show me it was wrong, hey, I'll give it back to you. Tell me, honey, with a smile, I could walk you down the aisle. I won't even need a show. Can I steal a little Can I steal a little love? Can I grab a little love? This is George Carroll of the Sarasota Sunsets Jazz Big Band. You're listening to The Big Band Files with Doug Miles. Poets often use many words. To say a simple thing 
It takes thought and time and rhyme to make a poem sing. With music and words, I've been playing for you. I have written the song to be sure that you know what I'm saying. I'll translate as I. Go along. Fly me to the moon and let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like. On Jupiter and Mars. In other words, hold my hand. In other words, kiss me. Fill my heart with song and let me sing forevermore. You are all I long for, all I worship and adore. In other words, please be true. In other words, I love you.
talking with Frank Sinatra, Jr. Remember when I was a kid, we used to vacation, Frank, in uh, Cape May, New Jersey. And one year you performed at one of the, the hotels in Cape May, which I thought was kind of set that town uh, on its ear that weekend. I remember that back in, I guess that would have been the early 70s. So uh, not too far from Atlantic City, Cape May was. But uh, those are great areas. And uh, I know your dad, of course, uh, with Atlantic City over the years, the 500 Club. Wasn't that one of the places he got his early start, right? Well, not his early start. It was uh, He was into his career at that point. But the 500 Club, as you pointed out before, in that period of time when he first joined uh, with Nelson Riddle and Billy May and people like that, which was in the early 50s, the 500 Club uh, and Skinny D'Amato, Skinny D'Amato, yeah. D'Amato, who ran the club, they were into a very large part responsible for Sinatra's resurrection. I know he would go back once a year, didn't he? Now, I know the club may have not been in existence, but he always went back to uh, Atlantic City once a year to kind of honor that uh, that commitment, didn't he? Well, yeah, but primarily it was for the 500 yeah, Club. Yeah, right. And it was a shame because the 500 Club burnt to the ground in 1973. And it was really a, a, a terrible thing that, you know, that the city had lost what was, in fact, a landmark to this day, uh, when you come off that um, Atlantic City Expressway and go to Atlantic City, uh, one of, there's one of the street signs there which says 500 Club Drive. Yep. And it's still there to, that, to this day. I know they did one of those specials on uh, A&E, and I think they talked about the, the club burning down, and I think they said one of the few things that was unharmed was a picture of your dad that hung over the bar. So that was kind That's of right. a, a nice story uh, through that. Let's talk just for a couple of minutes, Frank, about, you know, you talk about the, the albums that your dad did. He was probably one of the first uh, to kind of go to that concept of a concept album, I should say, right, where all the songs sort of told a story or, or had kind of a theme to it. Uh, would you agree with that, or...? Uh, absolutely, I would agree with that. I always thought that was the way record albums should be made. He, um, if he did a sad song album, it was all sad songs. If he did a swing album, it was all swing songs. Mm -hmm. um, then he had different, you know, different vehicles, different formats, and those became known within the industry as concept albums. Yeah, you, you look at Only the Lonely, I mean, there's one that, uh, you know, if you feel a little down about yourself, listen to that, you'll feel better, right? <laughs> Not exactly. And that record appeared, as a matter of fact, I recently did a concert in his town where he lived, uh, very close to Palm Springs, California. And we did one of the selections off that album, and I said, this this record... When it came out, that very famous black-covered record album, yeah. um, which even to this day comes back and forth off the selling charts once in a while, and it is this year 50 years old. Wow. And I said, this album, I always believe, should be sold in pharmacies by <laughs> prescription only, because it could be lethal. Yeah, it, honest to God, lethal. It, it depends on your mood. You're right. Yeah, you got to be in the right mood for it. But uh, but it can be cathartic, though. I've I've listened to it at times uh, when you're feeling a little down or feeling uh, you know like you need to hear it, and and it helps. So yeah. But you're right about that. You got to be in the right mood. Record, uh, when that record first appeared 50 years ago, I was a teenager, 
and I had just broken up with my first real girlfriend, and that record album about killed me. <laughs> well, you talk about some of the, the great uh, songs. I was listening on the way over today to, uh, to uh, Sid's show, which we have on disc, and uh, there was a, a 1959 a live performance of One for My Baby from Australia. Well, that, that's He even says at the beginning of it, that's the, probably the best saloon song ever. And I, I know you're going to probably do it in the concert coming up, aren't you? I believe it is on the menu. Yeah. That, that's a song and a half, isn't it? I mean, there's one that will make you feel uh, either good or bad, depending on your mood as well, right? That came from, I think it was about 1940. There was a movie called Roadhouse. And that was a song, I think, that Harold Arlen had written for um, Roadhouse. And my father never made absolute use of that song until the early 1950s, at which point he joined forces with a musician from Brooklyn, New York, a pianist named Bill Miller. Oh, yeah. And Bill Miller invented the sound of the saloon piano that's been so synonymous with that song, with Sinatra, all these decades. And in 1998, when we began the Sinatra Sing Sinatra show, Bill Miller came out of retirement and was traveling on the road with me. And Bill um, played that for me. I used to do that. I would get some chills sometime when Bill Miller would sit there and play that for me, as he had for his pal, Frank Sinatra, beginning back about 1952. Wow. And Bill Miller was playing that for me up until he got sick when we were in Montreal, uh, Quebec, in 2006. And Bill was taken ill and eventually died that summer. He was playing that for me. Uh, up till two summers ago when he finally died uh, nearly at 92 years of age. Hmm. And just that first couple of notes, uh, once you hear them, you, you, just, you know it. You know what's coming, and you know it's going to be great uh, the next, uh, whatever it is, four or five minutes of that song. It really is a performance song, though, isn't it, Frank? It's not just one you sing. You really perform that song, right? Oh, yes. Uh, when uh, They used to do it just with the piano. And when they got ready to make that record album that you mentioned a few moments ago, that Only the Lonely album, uh, when they got ready to make that album, um, Nelson Riddle recorded Bill Miller playing it for Frank Sinatra. And he wrote the string orchestration around Bill's piano rendition, which uh, is the last song on Only the Lonely. And to this day, um, it, it works, even now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, tremendous. It strikes me so powerfully about that song and Bill's p saloon-style piano is that it is so totally American. Regardless of where I've been in our country, which is a big country, I mean, in the in the in the uh, New England states, in the Great Lakes states, in the Piedmont, um, in the Appalachian states, in the southern states, both the uh, um, the border southern states and the deep southern states in Texas, mm -hmm. uh, in the Great Northwest. I mean, anywhere in this country, you could turn on the radio, and you could, regardless of the usual type of music that people listen to. Um, 
locally, even, you know, the country music areas, the rock music areas, you name it, you will hear that song coming um, through the radio speaker. It is so totally American. You, you see what I'm trying to say? Oh, yeah, no, no question about it, yeah. You, yeah. You, you wouldn't, any other country, you would have to say, you know, that, that is American. Well, it's purely American. I mean, it just uh, had, had that feel to it, you know. It's, it's great. Well, that was really it. It's quarter to three There's no one in the place Except you and me So set em up, Joe I got a little story I think you should know We're drinking, my friend, to the end of a brief episode. Make it one for my baby, and one more for the road. I got the routine Put another nickel In the machine Feeling so bad Can't you make the music I could tell you a lot But you've got to be True to your code Just make it one for my baby And one more for the road You'd never know it, but buddy, I'm a kind of poet And I got a lot of things I'd like to say And when I'm gloomy, won't you listen to me Till it's talked away That's how it goes And Joe, I know you're getting Anxious to close And thanks for the cheer I hope you didn't mind My bend in your ear But this torch that I found It's gotta be drowned 
it soon might explode So make it one for my baby And one more for the road The long It's so long The long, very long We're talking with Frank Sinatra Jr. Well, I know you had a chance uh, the last few years of your dad's performing life to uh, go on the road with him and, and conduct the, the orchestra. That must have been very fulfilling for you. It was a learning experience. <laughs> I was his musical director for the last seven years that he performed. Yeah. And now I look back on it, and it's like it never happened. It's like it was a dream. Mm. It was like the whole seven years went by in seven minutes. Isn't it funny how your mind plays tricks on you? Yeah. Like that? Well, it was. I mean, it was great that uh, he was able to perform into his, I guess, early '80s, and 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 obviously the the fans were always there for him. That was never, that was never a problem. But it was great that he could still do that and have you with him. I mean, that must have been nice, uh, you know, from the father son perspective. Well, at the time that he hired me, which was in <laughs> 1988, um, at the time that he hired me, he was very very troubled by the fact that he couldn't find what he considered to be a good conductor. And, well, that's not even fair. Not a, not, it isn't that he couldn't find a good conductor. He couldn't find one that was appropriate for what he needed. I'm mm. sure he had many good conductors. And when he called me and invited me to be his orchestra leader, and he said, why don't you come out and conduct for me? I was... Uh, in a hotel room uh, with some of my people. We were going over our own show menu. When he asked me to conduct for him, uh, after my people revived me with the smelling salt, <laughs> uh, I said, uh, wh why do you need me? And he said, maybe. He said, I can't get a conductor to understand what it is I'm trying to do. Maybe another singer would understand what it is a singer is trying to do. And I took that as something of a compliment. He hired me then because I was a singer, and he thought that I would be able to uh, understand his needs melodically and metrically in mm. the music. And with that, I joined his company, and I was with him until his last show, which was in 1995, and as you pointed out, at that time he was 79 years old. Yeah. So he was um, he was still very much with it, um, and musically all the way up until he was just about 80. Incredible, incredible run. Before we uh, wrap up, Frank, I just want to go over a couple of things. Just checking the website out. I know there's a Frank Sinatra stamp that's going to be coming out. Uh, in May, is that right? Along with also a, uh, a uh, uh, an album of the best of old Blue Eyes on the reprise years, right? There is um, some kind of a, a package, I'm not familiar with what it is, that is uh, in conjunction with the United States Post Office. 
that comes out on the uh, uh, the day of the release of the Frank Sinatra stamp, which is officially May 13th. May 13th, right. Coming up. And, uh, you know, there are laws in this country that uh, for somebody to be um, honored by having his image on a stamp, that somebody has to be deceased mm-hmm. 10 years. Right. Um, so what, what it is is that the next day, May the 14th, will be exactly 10 years since my father's death. And that's why the, the stamp has been prepared. Um, it looks very nice. It's a nice photograph of him. Great picture of him with uh, the classic hat. That's right, from yeah. that era. And it just says very simply Sinatra. Sinatra, yeah. USA. And it just, uh, I'll tell you, we use it sometimes at the end of the show. It is, um, you asked me if we had video. We don't have video. But at the end of the show, we do put up that picture of the stamp coming out. Yeah. And the people react very severely to it when they see that because it touches me that it, it, the his country is recognizing him with this honor. And uh, it's wonderful. It's, it's just a great honor. Well, you talk about, uh, you know, the American song of, uh, you know, One for My Baby. I mean, he was truly an American success story coming from Hoboken and, you know, lower middle class, maybe... Uh, you know, lower middle class family, and to to rise to number one in show business. You know, you, you got it. I mean, that's the American dream. Here was a kid off the streets of Hoboken, and uh, his father was a firefighter, and uh, he had rose, he had risen to become uh, a captain of the Hoboken, New Jersey Fire Department, and he was as you say lower middle class family you know immigrant family mm-hmm. and this is uh, that that's truly the american dream when you consider that uh and it it pleases me too just the way you put it well i think there's so many people particularly here in sarasota frank that that are going to come out and see this show and uh, great fans of uh, not only yourself but uh your dad and, and the whole family. We want to just direct the people to the website. It's uh, SinatraFamily.com if you want to see that a great uh, stamp that's going to be coming out in May and a lot of great uh, news with, uh, with the family and, and all the different things that are coming out. And uh, Frank, we really appreciate you joining us today and uh, just spending a few minutes reminiscing. And uh, I also want to say uh, enjoy listening to some of your uh, recordings recently. The album you had out called uh, That Face. Uh, there's a great recording on that of uh, Girl Talk, which we're going to play a little bit later on in the show as well. So yeah. you're still recording as well. We'll be doing some of the things off That Face when we're there. That'll be great. That'll be Tuesday night, 8 o'clock at the Van Wazel. And uh, Frank, we appreciate it, and hopefully we can do it again down the road. Thanks for joining us today. You're very welcome. Hey, Francis. Steve? You having a drink? Can I join you, man? Sure. What do you think we ought to drink to? Let's drink to the girls, brother. Yeah, and one of their favorite pastimes. Yeah. They like to chat about the dresses they will wear tonight. They chew the fat about their tresses or the neighbor's fight. Inconsequential things that men would never care to know Become essential things that women find so apropos But that's a dame, it's still the same 
It's all a game, they call it Girl Talk, Girl Talk. They all meow about the ups and downs of all their friends. The who, the why, the how, the dish and the dirt, and it never ends. The week of sex, the speaker sex, we mortal males behold. And though we kick, we'd never trade you for a mint of gold. So baby, stay and talk away, but hear me say that after girl talk, talk to me.
Day of 